Well, good morning. And a morning it is. Friends, I got to tell you, I'm very excited about the uh, text that we're going to look at here today. And for two reasons. First, it's a very familiar text. But if, like me, you grew up with the standard curriculum and went through Sunday school, there was some uh, subtle teaching that is not quite accurate. So we get to correct a few things. And second of all, there's some, some really great doctrine, some things to discover about God in this passage, and most certainly about ourselves. Do you know what a paradox is? A paradox is a set of truths that seem contradictory. And there are a number of paradoxes in the Bible. Uh, For example, in order to live, you must die. Those two seem to be contradictory, don't they? And yet, those of you that have walked with Christ for many years, you understand completely what that means. Today we're going to look at a paradox that is oh so very important that every one of us understands here today. So listen carefully, please. Even if you've heard this before, it is so very important that we don't just know it, but we live in light of it. And the paradox is this. When you are weak, it is then that you are strong. When you are weak, then you are strong. Now, that sounds contradictory, doesn't it? But hopefully in the next 25 minutes or so, it will become clear. Today, we're going to study uh, perhaps the most famous of the judges, not necessarily the godliness, (laughs) godliest of the judges. His name is Samson. And instantly, you know, you don't even have to grow up in church and know about Samson. He was that big, strong guy, right? Yeah? What was he? Some very important lessons. So let's take a look by turning in your copy of the Scriptures to Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. And as is the pattern in the book of Judges, perhaps it's uh, wise to do a bit of review here. Um, the book of Judges falls, comes right after the book of uh, Joshua. Now, you know, Joshua is a book of victory. The people of Israel have come out of slavery, out of Egypt. They were there for 430 years. God raised up Moses to lead them to the promised land, this land that God had determined would be occupied and belong to the nation of Israel. Part of an eternal covenant for the nation of Israel that this land would be theirs. Something still battled today, but we know what the word of God says about it. And so in the book of Joshua, they, they, they come into this land and it is occupied. Now, one of the, the promises about this land is that they wouldn't have to build cities. The cities would already be there. Well, how did they get there? There were people who lived there that built these things. And these people, now remember, you know, you read through the Old Testament, you say, man, there's a lot of people dying here. You may have noticed the sign coming in, the wages of sin is death. And these people are worshiping idols, gods that they have created. New Testament tells us these are demons that they are worshiping. 
And judgment time has come, and the means is the people of Israel coming into this land. And so Joshua conquers so much of the land, this land of promise, this land of Israel, but there are still pockets of resistance. And those are the people that we see as we come to the book of Judges. And remember, the sin cycle in the book of Judges goes like this. Starts by they're in the land, they're being blessed by God, but then they take a look at their neighbors and they say, well, look at the gods they're worshiping and it looks a lot more fun to worship those gods than our gods and so they join them in this idolatry. Well, this angers God because these, these people belong to God. God is a jealous God. You know what jealousy is? You belong to me not to someone else. This is a God who sees his people turn their hearts away from him. And so in, as this sin cycle continues, we see that God raises up one of these pockets of resistance and God hands them over to these people and they are harsh and they are cruel. And ultimately the people cry out to God for deliverance. And God hears their cry. He raises up a judge to lead them for, and, and, and just cause them to have victory over these people. And there they are at the top of the circle again. But it continues over and over and over again. Over 330 years, the book of Judge covers. And here we are in one of those situations again when we come to chapter 13. And chapter 13 begins here in verse 1. I mean, where else would it begin? You know, by telling us the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so we see that the, this, this chapter, like most of them, begins with divine discipline. Now remember, divine discipline is an act of love. Traveling down the road that they were traveling would lead to death would lead them to lose all of the blessings that God had promised them. We're going to see one that was lost very clearly here in just a moment because of their wandering hearts. And so God wanted them back into this covenant relationship with himself. And so we see the cause of discipline. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. And we see the means of their discipline so... The Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines. Oh, there's a familiar name, you know. Know any famous Philistines? A lot of times we think of uh, Goliath, right? That big giant of a man. Yeah. And then uh, the, the writer here tells us the length of the discipline, which, by the way, is the longest period of oppression in this book for 40 years. I want you to think about this sin cycle we just went through, right? They're now being oppressed. What's the next step? They cry out to God. How long did it take them to cry out to God? 40 years. Perhaps we can pause and consider that for just a moment. Is God doing something in your life? Maybe not turning you over to the Philistines but placed you in a position that is just uncomfortable no matter what you do or direction you take. And it seems like someone's trying to tell you something. 
My friend, it may be the Lord disciplining you. Time to take a good evaluation of your life and say, hey, is there some sin I'm participating in right now that is an offense to God? But because he loves me so much, he wants me to walk away from it and choose life. Well, friends, we see the divine discipline here in verse 1. Now we begin to look at the story of deliverance, divine deliverance. Now, I want you to notice the anomaly of this particular experience. There is no evidence that the nation of Israel cried out to God in this one at all. It's not mentioned in this account whatsoever. But I want you to notice this, that God loves his people. And we begin to just tell a story. It is amazing to me that that oftentimes when there is a great need, God starts with a baby. We could talk about Moses, that beautiful child, or the Lord Jesus. And certainly here this judge. There was a certain man of Zorah, which would be near the Philistine border. Okay, Zorah, I mean, most of you knew that, I'm sure, but uh, for the rest of us, <laughs> this particular family lived near the border of Philist- the Philistines. And the Philistines, just by way of background, were coastal people. They lived uh, along the Mediterranean. And living along the Mediterranean, what do you suppose was their major industry? Fish. Thank you very much. <laughs> and what do you suppose their God looked like? they created a god that looked like a fish and his name was Dogon, Dagon, Dagon, the fish god. So so there they are living by the enemy, okay? And they're of the tribe of the Danites whose, whose name was Manoah. So this is the gentleman's name, Manoah, and his wife whose name goes unmentioned. But I want you to notice as we continue through this, while her name is not mentioned, she seems to be the focus of the communications that will take place here. Not unlike other accounts, when the baby seems to be the answer. So what we see here is, uh, you know, there's a certain man of Zorah, his name is Manoah, he's from the Danites, and his wife was barren and had no children. And some people choose that. They decide that's not the way for them to go. Some people cannot have children. This would have been very difficult for this particular family because God had promised that the Messiah would come through one of the, 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 from Israel. So every one of uh, these, these parents that had children, that perhaps this would be the Messiah. Now, we know that the Messiah comes through the tribe of Judah, you know, but this is revealed throughout history, more and more specific, so we could recognize the Messiah when he comes. Yes. And so we get the idea, the sense, and understanding the culture that this is, this is more than just disappointing. It is a result of the sin of the nation of Israel. And you say, well, how can you just say that, Pastor? (laughs) We've got some biblical evidence of that. I want you, if you are willing, to turn with me to Exodus chapter 23. 
Exodus 23. Keep your finger at Judges, though. We've got one of those good bookmarks. Keep it there. In Exodus chapter 23 and verse 20, Again, book of Exodus, they have exited out of Egypt. They are now on their way to the promised land. And this is the instruction given to the nation of Israel. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on your way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him. For he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. And if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. And when my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Mosquito Bites and the, all the Bites that live there, I will blot them out. And you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. And notice, and I will take away sickness away from you, and none shall miscarry or be barren. Obey me. Oh, and I will bless your socks off. But turn your heart from me, and chase after idols, and you will be running from my blessing. That's what's going on here, my friends. And we see, we've already seen that the nation of Israel has done evil in the sight of the Lord over and over and over again. And so this is their condition. And we see that they are victims of the idolatry of Israel, but even in the midst of that, they are visited by God himself. Take a look. Here it is. Verse 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman. Now, please take careful note of that phraseology. It does not say an angel from the Lord, but the angel of the Lord. If you have an electronic Bible on your phone or on your computer at home, or perhaps you're bringing your laptop on Sundays, it's okay with me. You can put in that phrase, the angel of the Lord, and you will see that it appears all over the Old Testament. Very peculiar times and very interesting people. And there is something unique, a pattern involved with this. So we see it's the angel of the Lord, and now we look at his identity. He has identified the angel of the Lord as God in other places. For example... In Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, Moses was out keeping his flock. This is a familiar passage, but you may have missed this. So Moses is out keeping his flock, the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mount of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Wait, who just appeared? Did you read that? The angel of the Lord. 
wait a minute, who did you think was in the flame of fire? Didn't you always think it was God? It is. So here is the angel of the, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burned. I like this guy. When the Lord said that, uh, saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. That was the angel of the Lord that was in the bush. <laughs> Yet here we see that it is God that is calling him. The angel of the Lord is God. I mean, look here down in verse 6. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. For he was afraid to look at God. Angel of the Lord. Hmm. In Zechariah chapter 3, you know, we read here in verse 1, Zechariah 3, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan had his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan... The Lord rebuke you. There is a distinction going on here. The angel of the Lord is standing there. And what does the Lord, the angel of the Lord, who we know is God, say to Satan? The Lord says, the Lord rebuke you. Sounds like a very odd way of saying I rebuke you, but that's not what he's saying at all. The angel of the Lord is saying that God the Father rebuke you. There's a distinction with the Lord and the angel of the Lord. That's hard to grasp that there is one God and yet three persons. Somebody explain that to me. (laughs) It is a truth that we know that we accept as true and believe, but how do we understand that there is one essence yet three persons and that is our God? The Lord said, the Lord rebuke you. Hmm. Now back to our story. We will continue to see evidence that this is indeed God. In verse 21, we're just skipping here. We'll go back. (laughs) The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. And Manoah knew for sure that the angel of the Lord, that was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, well, we will surely die, for we have seen God. Who did Manoah think he was talking to? God. The evidence is all over the scripture that the angel of the Lord is God. And we know it's not God the Father, because we know that no man can see God and live. We know it's not the Spirit. We'll see the Spirit's work in just a little bit. I'm absolutely convinced in my studies, not just from the scriptures I've shown you, that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is Jesus who appeared to these people. One of the reasons, uh, one of the many reasons is is that uh, the angel of the Lord doesn't appear in the New Testament at all. Well, unless you believe it's Jesus, as I do. Study for yourself. Be convinced of your own in your studies. But he was called, by, uh, called God by Manoah and his wife. 
And the angel of the Lord, again, can't be the Father. No one ever seen God. The angel of the Lord doesn't appear in the New Testament. But here we see the angel of the Lord's revelation here in 3b. See, now the angel of the Lord has appeared to these to uh, Manoah's wife. What does he have to say to her? And he said to her, Behold, you are barren and, and have not born children. <laughs> There's some big news. But don't miss this. But you shall conceive and bear a son. So two parts of information. You will conceive a son, and he will be a Nazarite to God. Now, this word uh, Nazarite, uh, Nazar means to be dedicated. It is a dedication vow. It's talked about in the book of Numbers in chapter 6. If you want to make a vow to God, a particular vow to be dedicated to him, there are some things that you should do. You will notice here in verse 4, Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a, and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. Now, we're not talking about Nazarenes here, my friend. We're talking specifically about a particular vow prescribed in the book of Numbers by the Lord. To be committed to God, to make a vow to him. These are the things. No razor shall cut your hair, no touch your hair. Okay? No drinking anything of the fruit of the vine. Strong drink, any of it. And you can't touch anything that's dead. Three things. You ready? What are they? Don't cut your hair. No razor, right? No fruit of the vine or strong drink. Don't touch dead things. It's part of the vow, okay? That will become significant later on. <laughs> and the third aspect that follows this Nazarite vow, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Well, it's significant that he shall begin to do it. What do we know about the Philistines? And we know that they were still around when David was king, and that is years to follow. So it was the role of Samson to begin to save them from the Philistines. Very important to know your mission in life. And here it is. Well, that was the first visit. Visit number two is to follow. And notice verse six, the woman told her husband. I mean, why would she keep it to herself? She's thrilled. God himself has just come and said, you're about to have a baby. And your baby has got some big purpose. Some big guidelines, but big stuff. So verse 6 tells us the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel. Very awesome. And I did, uh, I did not ask him where he was from because I figured he's from heaven. And he did not tell me his name, but he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. And you will notice the Lord returned in answer to prayer. Then Manoah prayed. 
we can pause right there and say, here's an anomaly in this family. To whom did he pray? He prayed to the Lord. Here we have the nation of Israel for over 300 years serving one idol after another. But this family is praying to Yahweh. Oh Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with a child who will be born. Now here's a dilemma. What are they supposed to do with a child who is to be born? Not cut his hair. Not to have any kind of connection with wine or strong drink and not to let him touch dead people. Well, that isn't very specific. Or perhaps it's just enough. You do that part. I'll take care of the rest. And yet the Lord returned. So the woman ran quickly, told her husband, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to this man. So, so God listened, verse 9, to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of the Lord came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her, so the woman ran quickly. And what we're going to see here is the Lord repeated his command, behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared, verse 11, and Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. <laughs> yes, he is the great I am. <laughs> but functionally, he's just saying, yes, you've identified me correctly. And Manoah said, now, this is Manoah speaking, don't miss these words. Manoah knows what God said would happen. Did he accept them as true or not? Verse 12. And Manoah said, now, when your words come true. Doesn't sound like any doubting in that at all. You know what they call that? Faith. He heard God's word, accepted it as true, and lived in light of it. Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? <laughs> I think they already knew the answer to that, right? Didn't the Lord already say that? Yeah. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean. Now, that, that's true for every Israelite. Wants to eat anything unclean, and all that I commanded her, let her observe. No new information here, my friends, but just shared specifically and directly to Manoah. And here in verse 15, they offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So, so that when your words come true, again, when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask me my name? Seeing it is wonderful. What an unusual response. Now, this has been translated in many different ways. Perhaps your translation says something different altogether. It is too 
too hard, too difficult for you to understand who I am. But wonderful. I think in Isaiah chapter 9, this description of the Messiah to come, the word wonderful was the first word of description. Wonderful, counselor, prince of peace, mighty God. Yeah. And you will notice here in verse 20, the Lord accepted their offering. And so Manoah took the young goat with grain offering, offered it on the rock of the Lord to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. And Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. Again, angel of the Lord is God. A little wisdom from the wife. And Manoah said, we shall surely, for we, we, we've seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, would he have accepted our burnt offering and grain offering at our hands? Or shown us all of these things are now announced to us, such things as these? It'd be hard for me to have a kid if I'm dead. <laughs> and that's where the divine deliverance begins here, my friends. Samson is now born and he grows up. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, which means little son, like sunshine. Sonny boy, they might have called him. <laughs> and the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. Again, what does the word bless mean? That he didn't hit any red lights on his way to work. No. It is his favor and enablement. God showed favor and enabled him. And we'll see, of course, what that looks like later on. Notice here in verse 25, and the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him, uh, began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtol. Now again, remember, this is on the border of the Philistines. And the Lord drew him to the Philistines. Notice this in chapter 14. Now, if you read this story and skipped over that, uh, that, ver that, that very truth that shows up in verse 4, You'll miss out here. Samson went down to Timnah. And Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And then he came up and told his father and mother, oh, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now, go get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to them, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? They seem to be a godly family that does not want to dishonor God by disobeying him and marrying the Gentiles. But you'll notice that Samson said to his father, Get her for me. For she is right in my eyes. Now in King James, I think, get her, for she looks good to me. <laughs> is not what this is saying. What Samson is doing is saying, well, 
It may not be right, but it looks right to me. And you will notice a very important phrase that follows. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. And at that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Hmm. And so here is this birth in these formational years now. And the Spirit of God is stirring in his life. And now the Spirit of the God is using this new relationship as an opportunity to begin defeating the Philistines. So God is using this. We, we need to pause here, and perhaps we're going to stop here. Oh, I know there's a whole lot more to go. There's next Sunday. What we're going to discover is that Samson is not the model person of holiness. God uses Samson. But the fact is, you're not the model of holiness either, are you? Who is the model of holiness? Jesus. Do you remember that verse we talked about earlier? All things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purposes. If God is only going to use sinless people, then we all might as well go home. That is not an excuse to sin. Friends, if you're sinning right now and you know about it, repent. Confess your sin to God and turn away from it. Run from it as though it is death itself. The wages of sin is death. But what this is is good news. Because you're not as bad as Samson is. I hope. So you need to pay attention to what God is doing in your life. Because God wants to accomplish something through every one of us. It may be not kind of thing like D.L. Moody that ends up in the newspaper and people write opinions about him. It may not be so famous, but it may just be the faithfulness of a Sunday school teacher that taught a guy like D.L. Moody. Only people that knew about him, you know, I suppose is D.L. Moody talking about a Sunday school teacher. There's no fame involved with it. He was just faithfully serving God the way God had called him to do it. And the Spirit of God, the same Spirit of God that empowered Samson, empowers you. But then the Spirit of God would come upon him. You and I, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, have the indwelling Spirit with us whether we wake up in the morning, we drive on our way to work, cleaning the house, whatever it may be, we have that same spirit. But it wasn't to help us to get the hard work done at home, my friends. It was to serve him out in the world, to communicate the gospel that breaks down hearts, pierces them asunder, changes them on the inside draws them to Christ. 
teaching kids, caring for them in the nursery. I say that to you. None of you are working in the nursery this morning. But God is using all of it. So step up. Answer the question, what does God want from you today? What is the one thing that you know you've been convinced of for a while, you just keep nodding your head and going along? How about take that first step today? Is it a phone call? What is it? What is the one thing that you must do? What is it? Friends, I wouldn't leave here without knowing what that one thing is. And maybe that's going to be a lot of prayer and pleading that God would open your eyes to it. And maybe that's going to have to unload a whole bunch of sin before you get there. Because God wants clean vessels. I mean, that's why I came. And Christ died for our sin. He died in our place to take the penalty for our sin, the punishment, the judgment that stands against every one of us. He died for our sin. And he rose from the dead, victorious over the very penalty of sin. That we might be men made new, women made new, kids made new, teenagers, senior citizens, retirees, whatever it might be. New because we are changed on the inside. A new nature. Is that something that's happened to you? You came to realize the truth that you're a sinner? And the wages of sin is death, and you absolutely deserve it. And suddenly, this whole Christ died for me thing makes sense. And you put your trust in him.